You are listening to Read It, Roll It, Hole It. He's two punts from victory. Only needs one. Welcome, golfers, to this week's episode of the Read It, Roll It, Hole It podcast. Today, uh, it's episode 47. Can you believe it? We're uh, we're still growing and we're uh, organically trying to grow. So please do share the podcast uh, with your friends if you can and uh, share the love. That would be great. Today we've got fellow Welshman on the uh, on the call, Stuart Stuart Morgan. Uh, Stuart is a great guy. He is one of the sort of best coaches out there. His approach to coaching is slightly different to most. Maybe how holistic his approach is and how much he coaches the human in front of him, rather than sort of not coaching the golf swing as such. So. He's coaching some top athletes, some uh, great guys, some good players on the European tour. And um, he shares some great insights in this podcast. So I'm sure you'll really enjoy. Please do, uh, as I said, like and subscribe, share with your friends, share the love and enjoy this podcast and let me know what you think. Hey, everybody. It's Tom here from Warwick House Golf, proud sponsors of the Read It, Roll It, Hold It podcast. Use code RRH10 for 10% off at warwickhouse.golf. Thank you, Ollie. Thanks for having me on. Great to have a uh, fellow Welshman on the uh, on the podcast. That's the only reason I agreed to do it, because I knew you were a Welshman. Is it? <laughs> Is it? Happy days, happy days. Well, um, yeah, it's really good to have you on, Stuart. I've been following you uh, for a while now. You're a PGA pro. Um, you do a lot of poaching with elite juniors and all level of um, sort of elite golfers. Would that be fair? Yeah, that'd be fair. I mean, I put a little bit less in the junior world right now, but, um, you know, I've gone on that journey and I still um, still consult with a few of them and the parents and, and whatnot, mostly at professional level now. I, I spend most of my time and elite amateurs. So, Brilliant. Excellent. Well, I, I think it's a nice place to start, really, if you can talk us through your journey from, from Sandrin Dodwells to... Uh, well, being a coach on tour with uh, Bern, it's, it's a lot harder to say this. Bern Riesberger, that's, that's hard right. Riesberger, yeah, it's yeah, it's been some journey, I have to say. But I think that that's part of my love of golf, you know, where it's kind of taken me and and whatnot. And um, yeah, played all my junior golf at Flandrindod, and um, then this well, I decided I wanted to be do my PGA stuff, and I was like, okay, well, where do I go? I first went to um, to Bristol to do it originally at uh, Wood Spring Golf and Country Club and didn't really like it down there. So moved back to uh, to Wales and kind of jumped between Monmouthshire Golf Club and Craddock, which is really quite close to where I used to live. And um, yeah, from there kind of took me further down south. I went to Silvermere and uh, down in Surrey and from there ended up going to work for Ledbetter. Uh, all over the place really and that was my first taste into um, into tour life when I kind of worked for him um, and you know when you're exposed to I think more you know, better players and, and I got to spend some time quite closely with him and talking to him that was always kind of where it was going to lead eventually but as I was going through that and and you know did my PGA and and did all that they became led better certified but during that time I started to get a few of my own clients out on tour and it was like okay well the technique's kind of improving a little bit but the scores are not improving and I was like so 
I, I tend to be quite a, a thinker and a reflector and quite diff, quite like hard on myself at times. I was like, okay, well, there must be more to it than this. So I just started to explore a little bit about you know different landscapes and started to understand a little bit more about motor control and whatnot. And then I, I went to the PGA to do just a, one of the CPD things. And I, I met a guy then called Graham McDowell, who he was he was using sort of languages or language talking about constraints led learning, ecological dynamics and, you know, different types of motor control and stuff. And I'm going, Oh my God, like, what is this stuff? Like I've never come across this before. Mm. And that opened up the biggest hole ever because I'm still in it. Um, yeah. Trying to understand. And, and I think if my big goal was to try and improve or, or leave the golf space, um, in a better place in understanding kind of how we train and practice and, and, and how we can kind of de develop and, and use the, the facilities and the, what we have just a little bit better. So it's taken me everywhere. I lived in the U S for two years, um, working at a junior Academy over there, which was fascinating to really get to understand the collegiate system over there and how it really works and what that process was like dealing with parents from all over the world, dealing with kids from all over the world. So it makes you very uh, adaptive in, I guess, dealing with people, I guess. that's. I think that's more the business that we're kind of in more than actually mm. teaching them golf, I think, at times. Totally. Totally agree with you. It's a, um, it's such a massive sort of subject, really, isn't it? The, uh, you know, a lot of golf coaches, they talk, you know, argue about positions and the swing and whatnot, but actually understanding humans and human behavior is, uh, is uh, a huge part of it, would you say? It's massive. And, you know, when I guess when I look at it, you know, if you get you know, some of the players and, and you'll know this as well, like the players that, that, that I'm kind of dealing with, at, you know, at the high end of playing professional, I mean, there's such a small percentage that get that go on to play on the European tour never mind to win and, and become playing the top 50 in the world but um, they kind of know like 1995 percent of what they're doing anyway you know and mm. and for me my job is then to try and unpack that that next like 10 percent or five percent to you know elevate performance and I, I think that I don't think you can just look into one area, you know, I think that it's, you know, when you dive into a number of like neuroscience, um, motor control, motor learning, actual learning performance, you know, we, we can understand these things a lot better to actually get more out of our practice. So when we actually get into the performance stage that it, you know, we are that, that kind of extra little 5% is kind of coming out. Does it happen all the time? No, but I don't think you can, uh, you can do that without understanding what the, the the person is and their values, their beliefs, how they've grown up. It's just impossible, you know? So it's like many, many puzzle or jigsaw pieces to the puzzle that you're trying to put together to make this, um, this ultimate picture, I guess. Hmm. It's fascinating. Can you give us like an insight into what that five, 10% entails for someone like Bernd Wiesbeier who um, I still can't say his name yeah. who obviously won one last week on tour that's a great um, great victory he's 
I think he's won four times in the last couple of years. So he's yeah, since he's 2019, he's won four times. Yeah. So when did you start working with him? To that back end of 2018. Yeah, right, so, so we so we worked all the way, you know, through his injury and whatnot. He was out for seven months with a wrist injury. Um, yeah. And then yeah, kind of, you know, dealing with that. But the thing is, I like I've known him since he was 15. You know, okay. my son, my wife's from Austria and they they kind of grew up together and whatnot. So I know the family. I kind of somewhat know the culture of of Austria as well. And it's, you know, it definitely helps. But, you know, you've got the, the one thing that kind of came from it, you know, with the injury and whatnot. We were like, well, I'm not really sure that um, you can do the volume that you used to do, which was which was one from a practice standpoint. And. Where Even was his you, injury? Sorry to interrupt. In just on the on the left on the left wrist. wrist yeah, yeah. Um, so it kind of started there, really, and it was like, okay, well, let's get more efficient with, you know, with what we're doing and and whatnot. Be it, you know, get the the training, taper the volume down, get the intensity up, making every ball kind of count with something that we're that we're trying to do, um, and yeah, start kind of build, building him back in. You know, and then, yeah, I get, you know, I guess it then comes down. Yeah, you start to kind of, okay, get get the levels back up. And then it's just a case of when you get into that performance context, like, okay, the levels are there, but you still got to be able to let it go, you know. And then that's really, to me, what performance is. It's, you know, doing all the great training work and whatnot. But when you get into that context of tournament golf, can you allow that stuff to come out? And that that's a, that's a different kind of behavioral skill you know, all together because human beings are, um, we, you know, we are, uh, we're paralyzed with fear sometimes and over control tendencies and things like that. So it's like, how, well, how do we manage, how do we manage this? So it's a number of things. It's again, the chats that we have, the questioning that we have, the looking at the statistics, looking at, you know, certain, um, PCDE, so psychological characteristics of, of excellence. So we, we have a profile and I, I have all this information, but I don't, I don't share, you know, a huge amount with the player. I just look at it and say, okay, well, what's the, what's the key things here to try and elevate that performance. So there's a lot of plates spinning, but you just try and do the best you can and pull it all together. And then obviously work, I speak to his caddy a little bit and, when you're out on the road and, and whatnot. So it's, it's a whole mixing pot of like a number of different things and just trying to fine tune everything into, um, in, into those one moments of those tournaments, you know, and it's, that, sure. that's really the key. Yeah. It's uh, interesting. It's, co it's complex and it's, you know, but it, it, for me, it, it's like, I really enjoy it. You know, that's the, it's a, I, I love the challenge of, of that. It's, stressful yeah sometimes but it's um yeah i just love the challenge of it rewarding as well i'm sure it is yeah it's rewarding but i you know i think the same as a player obviously he's the one in the arena he's the one doing it and you're trying to like i said do the things that you can do and and give them as you know as much autonomy as you uh, as you feel kind of is is right and then kind of pull them in sometimes guide them you know ask some challenging questions which is not always comfortable you know but again it's it's part of the job isn't it you know and that's um it's just the way the way it is and again just trying to 
taper it to that moment of getting into that tournament so they can just just go play and and really really crack on so how much um like would you be out there like setting up sort of skill challenges um stations environment situations for him is that what you're sort of planning ahead right he's going to the range in a bit okay he's not going to be a bull basher and wreck his wrist again what are we going to play that makes him hit 10 balls in half yeah hour? so we're so we're doing you know some some practice design and whatnot and we have so, so there's two things go into some sort of detail yeah, there, so so there's two there's two things to it really is one like if you if you're going to do let's say you're doing a, some kind of putting task or whatnot so um we love putting on this show yeah i mean if we if we just keep it as simple as um i don't know do doing a doing a tornado or doing a, a, a spiral from you know four to ten feet or whatever you know whatever it is well yeah you've got the you've got and you can do that at different angles around a hole so you've got the um the efficacy so the self-efficacy so that's really task specific confidence to me so and albert bandura kind of he, he came up with the the, the thing self-efficacy one of the uh, premium psychologists um uh, ever really and he like I said, it's task specific. So confidence is a little bit kind of flaky sometimes because we don't really kind of know what that is. But if it can be kind of tailored to a task, it can really give that player some some real big boosts kind of going into, um, into tournament play and, and so on and so forth. So there's that component to it. But then there's also the behavioral element to it. So it's not just saying, okay, go and do that task. It's about then we're looking at you know, let's say they're, you know, what their gaze is doing, how much time they're spending over it, you know, quiet eye stuff, um, looking at their kind of routines and the, the processes that they do. And, and, and you kind of explore that and you basically say, okay, well, so the task is the task and it gives you some feedback on, on kind of an outcome or a performance. Um, but there's also like, well, how do you improve that? It's not just doing the task because if you have the same behaviors, you'll just keep doing the same things. Mm -hmm. So it's like looking at those behaviors and going, okay, well, are they standing over it too long? Do they need to kind of just react to it a little bit? Whatever it might be for that particular player and layer that on top of it. And then what you do with that is you then say, okay, great. Well, we're now going to go and play and we might play nine holes or we might do you know some kind of task um, a scoring task on the golf course we have to get to one under three or whatever it might be but that's like great and I'm then watching that those behaviors again right so when they're actually playing and if the behaviors are there and the, or they're not you kind of pull them up on it and say okay we need to do a little bit more of this or you know you, you're not reacting enough etc cetera, etc cetera. and that then gets layered onto watching them in a tournament so with Benz, it's lucky because I get to watch him on TV a little bit and I also go to some events. But then I'm seeing is that stuff transferring to, to the performance mm -hmm. in real time? And if it's not transferring, then we ask the questions after and say, well, wh why is that? You know, is that you're not paying attention to it? You're not aware of it? Wh what can that be? So it's a, it's a whole cycle of, um, of things enabling that person to perform 
at their best where it matters. Does that make sense? Totally. Yeah. It's um yeah, it's a great insight really into well how your mind is sort of ticking over really when you're you're watching your player practice, perform, watch them on telly, see how they're sort of how that changes really and how they Be- changes. Because I think that the, the you know the one the way I look at it is like I feel anybody can put some kind of you know task together, right? I mean, as long as it's within context of what that player needs, based on again those small margins, or even not like even if it's a club golf, when you say, okay, well you're having huge amounts of putts from this range. I mean, you know, you can make two less bogeys around if you if you practice on holding out from four to six feet a little bit more or or four to seven feet, whatever it might be. But that's one thing, right, to do that task. But the other thing is you, you've got to understand what how they're thinking, what they're going through, how are they how are they internalizing what they're doing? Because until you know that, they're just doing a task. You know, mm. they're not they're not in essence in essence changing any form of behavior. So is it key to when players do these performance tasks like a spiral from four to seven feet, whatever, that they're emotionally attached to, to it? That well, there needs to be some engagement and they need to have understanding of why they're doing it to start with. I think that's that's paramount because if they don't have, if there's no, if there's no connection to, um, or no, you know, no context to why they're doing it, then it's just, they're just doing it. You know, that's just the same sure. as, um, that's the same with just massing of practice, you know. It's just going through the motions of, of hitting putts. But it's like, yeah, they need to know this is what's good. This is why we're doing it. This is what the reason is. Um, this is what it's going to do with your score. But how do, how do we influence that? You know, are you, let's say, a club golfer? Are you is the player, you know, fishing for it a little bit, trying to you know, trying to control it going into the hole too much, or you know, are they being a little bit? Are they not present enough as they're standing over it? Are they trying to follow the putter too much? Are they, you know, are they not, you know, engaged in the aim of the putter? So those are the behaviors that that need to be connected. And some people will say, well, that's overthinking, but it's not, you know, because it's it's in the moment processing. So mm. you need to just go through almost like a checklist, right? To say, okay, for me to putt my best from this range, I'm gonna go do this, do this, do this, do this. Cool. And, a, and a really good way of, of, of doing this and to understanding a little bit about what that play is going through is, um, uh, it's, it's kind of verbal protocol. So kind of talk, tell, ask them to talk to you as they're doing it. So what are their eyes looking at? What are they doing? So I was fortunate to speak to Anders Ericsson, unfortunately, you know, before he passed away a little bit about this. And he says that you know, he felt that was more um, more beneficial to him rather than what they term as retrospective recall. So recalling what they did. Okay. Because when a player, sometimes when a player recalls, there's a gap, right? A forgetting gap. And they'll and they'll then start to maybe start to create stories, right? Of what mm-hmm. anecdotal things of what they think has happened. Mm-hmm. Right, do you know what I mean? Totally, rather yeah. than rather than what's real. Talk a good game, yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. But I think that's the same for you know club golfers to elite golfers. It's if you can kind of tap into to understanding what is that player doing whilst he's doing it, 
because sure. until we re- until we really know that, it's very difficult to to really help them. Fascinating, and yeah, I totally totally agree with you that you know a lot of golfers do over you know uh, uh, overthink it. Maybe it's not the right term you use, but they you know you stand over the ball and they're not present, and we're thinking, oh shit, don't miss this part, or uh, you know if I if I hold this part, I'm gonna win the competition you get into the future. Quietai is an example of quietening the mind over the ball, yeah. would you say? Yeah. Talk us through talk us through Um I'm a big fan of Quietai. I think it helps a lot of golfers, not all, but a lot. Yeah. Um and perhaps some other options players could perhaps take away. Yeah. So you've got, you know, try. it's the same as like get like, you know, the gaze control, isn't it? Of understanding, you know, if their eye, if their eyes are moving all over the place and they're, they're scan overly scanning at times, then it's going to, I was always creating activity, you know? So it's like, well, how, how do you, I remember in 2006, we had the WGC at the, at, at the Grove where I was based at that time. And I asked um, a very prominent player at that, at that time. So what do you do? He says, well, when I really need to make a part, I just let, I just soften my eyes on the gap between the, the putter and the back of the ball. Hmm. And, and it's the same principle as the quiet eye, which just kind of, so, it's like softening, so quietening everything down just to then, you know, execute. Hmm. And the, the other thing, which I also find that you could do dual tasking. So, yeah. you know, you can get them, you know, counting backwards, doing their cell phone number, you know, backwards or, or whatever, Count, you know, counting up in sevens, counting up in threes, whatever. And it just occupies the work in memory then. So then allows the procedural stuff just to kind of happen a little bit more rather than that, that over kind of controlled over conscious thing. But I think there's a process before that as well. And I think that people think that overthinking, yeah, there, there can be overthinking, but also overthinking is also linked to thinking about irrelevant things to the actual task. Comes back you know, to so, the fear you mentioned yeah. earlier. So yeah. somebody's thinking about missing a part, then that's that they're not they're not engaged in what they're trying to do, are they? You know, they're they're engaged in what then they don't want to happen, right? And again, we're a little bit wired that way, but I also believe that if you get them to say, okay, let's just go focus on this point, this point, this point, then quiet and then hit the part, you know, you'll start to get that process. And they'll start making putts more over time. And that's another key over time because they expect this instant boom, right? But if sure. you can reduce the shots over time, that is, again, it's, it's reducing the big, the big picture, isn't it? That's, that's really what we're trying to do as coaches. Definitely. So it's thinking about the, the right things in the right time, which then influences performance. And I, don't, I just don't think golf has trained this enough. I think they, they truly believe, I was speaking to Phil Kenyon actually uh, recently about it, and uh, I, I just don't who's think... That? They, who's that, sorry? To Phil Kenyon. So Phil I was chatting Kenyon. to Phil about it, and we were like talking, I just don't think club golfers do enough of that, you know, really engaging in that type of, of practice, because that's also, you know, that's what they want to do in performance when they go on the golf course. So that, to me, is performance training. Definitely. It's, um, yeah, it's fascinating, isn't it, where, you know, people do work on technique, as we were saying earlier, but 
working actually on your mind it's not all, all the way you think or your process it's not not something we do enough of talking of the process that you get in my mind racing we're talking about pre-shot there and then yeah. during shot yeah how important is post-shot so it doesn't turn up in pre-shot next time yeah again i i think that it it's um I think some people will reflect on the post on post shot. Um, some people not, you know, it's some people just are just very good at putting things behind them, you know, rather yeah. than overanalyzing it. And, um, and some people just want to die, you know, want to digest what has just happened, good and bad. So they can then move on again, putting, putting back to So yeah, it's important, but again, it's relative to, um, to, to that individual. But I, but I also find, find what's interesting is, um, you know, there's, there's a lot of, again, I guess it's anecdotal stuff that comes into, um, into golf where they say, well, you know, your, your pre-shot routine should be the same time all the time and they should do, you know, there should be the same looks and so on and so forth. But actually, if you look at the data and the literature about this, this is actually all relevant to task difficulty. So if the task is more difficult, natural tendency is to take more time over it, right? There was actually a really good kicking study done with Neil Jenkins on this to do with his kicking process. And he thought it was like the same time, same looks and whatnot. But actually, as the task became more difficult, it was a little bit longer. It wasn't the same. There was a few more looks at times. And, and again, it kind of ties in you know, because it makes more sense. If the task is more difficult, you're probably going to put a little bit more emphasis on, on the task. If the task is really easy, you know, where you just kind of mark the ball, clean it, put it down, tap it in, you're not probably not going to go through your whole process and that whole, you know, timing of things. Sure. It's like snooker players, isn't it? That, you know, Ronnie O'Sullivan, if he sees the shot, he just gets down, hits it, but he does for most shots, to be fair, but, if he's in a difficult situation, he takes a bit more time to plan it out. Yeah, absolutely. And so, I don't think there's anything wrong with that. I think that's just, you know, that's human nature. So it's like, and that's like pre-shot as well. You know, sure. it's like it's like scanning what's around you and saying, okay, what? Because there's some shots that you're going to be more comfortable with than others. And that's, you know, as long as you're in your time slot, then, you know, it doesn't really matter, does it? No, no, for sure. Cool. Let's um let's stay on the uh, on the practice sort of uh, subject, if that's all right, and yeah. just talk us through your philosophy, if you will, of develop, train, and perform. Um, if please correct me if I'm um not right that if that's your uh, philosophy, but yeah, can you go into sort of those three topics? Yeah. So again, it, it comes down to or or it originated from where. I don't think all practice sessions should be the same. Um, I think they should be different relative to time in, in context to when their tournaments are. Um, again, is it different for different people? Yes, it is because um, some people need to get a little bit more kind of jazzed up prior to tournament. Some people need to kind of lower down, but that's, you know, that's a different story. Um, but yeah, develop, train, perform. So when the player looks at it and we plan it out, it just is just green, uh, red, and blue. So green is develop. So if there's a new type of skill that a player wants to develop or um, just going over some 
some coordination stuff, exploring a different way of hitting a particular shot, you know, adjusting somebody's technique in context to a, to a shot. Uh, that's really what green and, and develop will be. So it's kind of when you, at an elite level, it's like, okay, well, when do you do that? When is it best to do that? Because if the player can't, will go to a tournament and they start doing too much of that, it's not so easy to just dampen down the noise of that and then get ready to, to play at their peak. You know, it's almost like they're in a different type of mindset than a mm -hmm. performance mindset. So that's what develop is. And again, then it's just figuring out, okay, well, what, what does that player need? Right. So the player needs to have some autonomy on that. You might, you know, you look at his, his stats. So you look at in play or, or whatever it might be. And, then, you know, let's say the, the, the ladies just had the U.S. Open, you know, at, um, um, in San Francisco. So let's say somebody knew that they were in that, you know, four months ago and they turn around and go, do you know what? I feel like this, for this type of facility, this type of golf course, I need to add this particular shot into my yeah. repertoire. So they go into, well, how can you play that shot? Well, or do you need to make some kind of technical adjustment? And that would be the kind of the starting process. Like, okay, I'm just developing this. I'm trying to find the lies that I'm going to need and how, how to do these things just to learn to play that shot and then just build in towards the tournament. When you go to training, so training is um, you, you test, you might test that to the limit. Okay. So you might add different tasks in. You, you're creating a little bit more, um, uh, more one ball intensity trying to stretch them, the player. Um, and that might be nothing to do with the, the, the green or that particular shot. It might just be, I don't know, their approach play where you're just, they have the skill set, but we're just trying to stretch that skill set in the environment or trying to put a measure on it that they have to try and beat or whatnot. Just adding some more, um, more challenge to that. And it's all relative to, to the level of player, but that's really what training is. And that's where I think that most people go, okay, yeah, I, I kind of do this and I kind of do, I do green as well. So I do the development stuff. But then the blue, so the performance is you know, a little bit closer to a tournament, potentially you know, at a tournament as well, where you're just trying to taper this off. So you're trying to get enough rest in. You're trying to get your mindset into that, that moment of just, well, how am I going to let go here? Because if I don't let go, then all the great work that I've done in my green and my red, the chances are that's not going to come out because mm -hmm. I'm over trying or I'm, you know, there's something that I'm, I'm fearful of, like in that tournament or you know, something along those lines. And it's like a to and fro between, you know, the space where I look at is to say, well, this, this might be advantageous to do more of this training going into, again, a U.S. Open. They might go, okay, fairways are narrow. So what we've got to do here is, you know, the week before, we're going to do some performance stuff. We're going to make the golf course a little bit more contextual to what you're going to have. Um, and we're going to try and add some yardage to the golf course. We're going to try and narrow it up by uh, saying, okay, the – the right and left rough. If you if you hit it in there, you have to pitch out within 50 meters or 50 yards of the green. Again, very contextual to to a U.S. Open, but actually keeping up that that freedom element of going. Okay, I'm just going to pick the shot, irrespective of the noise that's going on around. Like 
okay, this is tighter there. This, you know, this is a smaller margin here. It's it's staying with the the that performance mindset. Like, well, I've got to I've got to deal with this. You know, does that make sense? So totally. green green is developed. So it's like, okay, what skill can I do? Very much a learning environment. If it's really technical stuff, then that's going to be a, again a whole different story. Um, and how the scheduling of that practice might look to help, uh, I guess, retain that technique. Um, then the training stuff was like, okay, we've got to upscale here. So we've got to stretch you like a personal trainer stretching somebody in the gym. You know, we've really got to push you. You're going to fail a lot in this environment, but that's okay. As long as you understand what that red, what that red training is. And then blue We've done all the great stuff, the great training and whatnot. So now it's just about executing. So what mm. do you need to do to execute when you need to execute? And again, there's some of those things I think golfers do more of and some that golfers do very, very little of. And it's, it's just trying to piece that puzzle together for that individual player. Mm. As, as a tendency... Is there an area where players spend more time with those three? Yeah, probably green, probably yeah. develop. And um, the, the least? Probably performance. Yeah. Because they, it's almost like they don't, like we, I mean, we, we've, we've tested this with a lot of re, like really good players. And sometimes people think, well, when I'm just doing performance and I'm just hitting shots and like I would do on the golf course, they don't feel like they're practicing, you know, because again, it's this, this overemphasis on well if i'm not trying to upskill all the time then i'm not really working i'm not really practicing but well it's just two different environments it's just a learning environment and one's a performance environment but that skill of being much, very much in the process being in the present understanding again what your working memory might do trying to get more you know automated whatever it might be for that player that's a big skill as well. And I, and that needs time too. And, sure. and closer to the tournament, that's kind of, as you start to build into tournament, that's potentially where you need to be more of than, than, than in green. You know? mm -hmm. and, and certainly red, I wouldn't want to be doing, you know, the training environment. So the red uh, training, you know, too close to a tournament because it's just, too mentally demanding mm. you know and we're trying to conserve energy going into a tournament not not waste it so that red zone is it's all about making it harder than the real thing yeah yeah um really sort of challenging the player yeah almost building resilience so that yeah and like and like overtraining in some some so do you're doing more than you potentially normally would in that you know definitely building resilience okay making it like I said, making the golf course more challenging than, than potentially what it what it would be. Um, doing Can you give a, us a pattern a pattern example of an overtrain or a, an um, overtrain. So yeah, like a spiral, yeah. but or some other drill. So you may do um, like two two one right for putting. So you've got so let's say the the one is you know knocking for birdie. Uh, sorry, knocking for par. So from inside six feet, four to six feet, right. Yeah. Then you go the other two, right, would be, let's say, one outside of 40 feet or outside of 33 feet where three putt probability starts to come in, okay? Then yeah. I'd also add a chip and putt into that. 
So the one is the make, okay? Yep. Then you've got the two putts from outside of 40. Then you've yep. got the chip and putt, right? So now there's, there can be different layers to this depending on the skill set of the, of the person. So it might be for somebody, a club golfer, can you just do one, two, two, one? You've got an hour to do it. Can you do it? Okay. Then you can so when you say a, two, two, one, sorry, I'm being stupid. So scoring shots. Yes, yeah, so, so scoring, basically. Then you could say, okay, can you do two, two, one, but this time with the distance part and the chip, now we're going to add a margin around the target. So for, for, okay. speed, for speed or for, for skill set, right, for chipping. Right, once you can do that, great. Now we're going to add another two, two, one in. So can you do two? in a row okay. and at any time you don't do one you would literally you'd either say move back to the to the shot before or move back to the start again like it now what now what i what i and again the goal would be so i i've even done this at the, at the um the british open right so but it but because that's performance i'm not i'm using it as a performance task i'm not putting a constraint on it to say you need to get this particular score. Okay. So we're just doing the two, two, one on the putting green at the open championship, but it's just then checking the behaviors and the, are you in the right headspace to get ready to, to perform on Thursday? Whereas in a training environment, I could still use the two, two, one, but I'm trying to upskill. I'm trying to reduce time to say, can you get two of those done? within that time frame, Can you get all three done? You know, so nine holes in essence in, that, in this time frame. What that does, that creates levels of urgency, that creates levels of, you know, they, there's no, you, you don't get it back. You know what I mean? Like, sure. it's deliver that one shot or let, let's start again, right? And it's just yeah. little things like that. So that would be that over, that, that upscale. So I'm trying to stretch that player but I'm adding stuff in there to add a little bit of, a little bit of kind of need to it in some ways because the, the need or the, the, this is the score you're trying to create or this is the time frame that again creates a little bit, more, a little bit of pressure. And again, I've had conversations with um, you know, people saying, yeah, but you can't really create the same amount of pressure that you would do in a tournament. Maybe not, but if you read the research of, uh, I think it's Sean Bylock on okay. performing under pressure, uh, she's done the research and any form of, or any small amount of uh, pressure or a little bit of stress in the, in the environment, it still helps the player deal with it because hmm. they're still feeling it. Yeah. So, so it's like, so the thing for me with that, in the world that we live in right now, it's the same as a vaccine, right? It's, okay. a, it's a little bit of a vaccine, which helps, again, the body deal with whatever it needs to deal with. Got you. It's a nice way of putting it. Yeah, I like that. Yeah, and, that, like that. and that, that's kind of really what the difference between um, what a red training would be and how you can use the same task, but for blue in a performance environment where it just doesn't have an outcome. It just has the process of doing it to keep it task contextual but then you're focusing on the behaviors a lot more. Again, routines, um, 
you know, are they doing the behaviors that we've spoken about, which enables them to putt at their best? Like it. Brilliant. Okay. Um, thank you. That's uh, that, that's good. If, um, if we move on to sort of the, the key skills we need to perform. So if I give you like an example of, I don't know, a scratch golfer who's, you know, a good golfer, obviously they hit a golf ball well, they can play golf pretty good, to someone like um, your man, Burnt, Lee Spiger, <laughs> um, what, what are the main sort of skill differences between an elite amateur, let's say, and someone who's probably squeezing everything, getting the best out of himself. Would that be fair? Do you know what I mean? Do you see where I'm trying to go here with, there's a lot of amateur golfers, there's a lot of pro golfers who are very, very good. Then, you know, Ian Poulter is not the most talented of golfers of no. all time, right? Um, you know, there's a lot of two handicappers who probably hit it a lot better than him. So what's the, what is the, the ingredients i i still i still i still think the key the, the key thing is um they just and again they're all different with it but they just find a way of the gap between what they do in tr in training right so score wise in training and whatnot versus what they do when they have a card in the hand just isn't as big you know the, the it doesn't affect them as as much as what um potentially what elite amateurs do um, and how they go about doing that. I, I think they're very, very good at um, controlling their attention for one. I think mm -hmm. the, the, the better the player becomes, you know, they have different things with their attention, like crowds and stuff like that to deal with as well. So their attention gets very laser like with what they're focusing on at, at what particular time. And, um, but, but also from a skill perspective, yeah, they, they just, they're, they're better in, in everything, you know? And, and he, I'd even say Pulse to start with, my, when he first came out, he, but he's a pretty good ball striker now, right? We, yeah. I mean, yeah, we, I mean, we walked nine holes with him at the USPGA a couple of weeks ago. And yeah, he's, um, he, he's a good ball striker. And he's a good chipper. He's a good putter, you know? And he's very, very confident, um, as as we know. Yeah. And they just, yeah. So in from the skill sets, they're they're exceptionally good, but also their misses tend to be for me a little bit smaller as well. So, you know, even like I would say, even this short game wise, when they're hitting into the green, they have easier chips and stuff like that because they're actually missing it closer to the putting surfaces. Okay. That, that will be another one. And two, they're very good at understanding where to miss it. Mm. You know, so you know, they're hitting it into spots all the time rather than I think an elite amateur still has that tendency to just start flag hunting with five irons and, and things like that. So I think let's there's that component of discipline. Let's, let's go down. Let's talk about, <laughs> let's talk about course management. But, that, but that's kind of what it is, you know. It's like yeah, they, I, I feel... I've learned a lot from, from being around these guys and seeing what they do. You know, they're not, they don't try and force it very much. They hit, like I said, they're hitting it into right spots on the greens, you know, and that's, I don't know whether they just been taught this, a lot of them, but, or whether they've just, again, they've learned it, 
you know, mm. or like consciously learned it versus passively learned it from from just being out there. Interesting. They they knock a three wood um, straight onto the first green at Bandod, Jacken. <laughs> I don't know. Uh-huh. They're, 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 yeah, I'm not so three wood. They definitely. Uh, is it three hundred yards? Probably a bit more up the hill. I'd say they'd be. They'd be always yeah, cold as well. Yeah, they'd be getting. They get drivers squeaking out there to front edge, unless unless they worried about out of bounds. That's just off the left of the green as well. So, um, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Quite a scary hole that first hole. Isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> it was yeah. cold as well and windy. It's it, Wales, very much it's so. raining. It is Wales, yeah, and it's up on top of a mountain as well. <laughs> Good views on a nice day there. Oh, amazing! Absolutely Definitely worth amazing. going to play Tandod if you get a chance. It's and it's, a, it, I mean, place. it's it's not that long of a golf course either, so it's actually quite fun to play. You know, it's a great course. Yeah, I love it. Yeah. I love it. Okay, um, little uh, you know, little promo there for Phil. If he if absolutely Phil, Phil at Tandod, isn't it? We'll so, send him the link to kind of listen to this and say, every, anybody yeah. who's listening, if you're in mid Wales or you're going to go for a holiday in Wales, go and play Flandrindod Wells Golf Club. Definitely, yeah, hundred <laughs> percent. Okay, approach the time quickly. I just want to talk to you about youngsters coming through the game. So I, I coach a lot of you know promising young kids who obviously are talented. Again, the word talented. Perhaps we can even talk about what the what the hell that word even means. And that you know, it's all not all. A lot of the kids win a lot of trophies at a young age and they're very good. And I get very worried for these kids who are successful, very, very young. Talk us through sort of perhaps what advice you could give to parents who have young kids coming through the game who are, you know, under 12 champion of Gloucestershire or whatever. What's, you know, what's, what advice perhaps you could give them and perhaps some techniques for, you know, maybe the car journey on the way home after a, a shit day at the office. But I, you know, I, this is the, the one thing for me about um, try again, trying to bring some of the, you know, the academic literature that I read like into the real world, because there's so much good stuff like Dave Collins, um, Annie McNamara, um, you know, they, they've done some fantastic research on, I think the one paper is called uh, Champs, Super Champs and Almosts, right? And it's, it's interviews of, you know, elite sports people and ones who haven't made it and, ones, and with parents and whatnot. It's really easy to read the literature. Like it is a paper. They have actually written a book as well. I can't remember the name of it, but I'll send you, um, I'll, send the you the, I'll send you the name of it. And it's again, the second best book that parents should read. The second best, yeah. Do you want to tell us about the best book that people <laughs> should read? That parents well, it's should my, read. It's my book, isn't it? That's isn't a, it? That's that's right. Right. Come on, let's, let's talk about it. Yeah, so <laughs> Gifted <laughs> Junior. And that, that ties into the talent element and why I titled it Gifted Junior, because it is what you're seeing are gifted individuals, right, at, at playing the sport. But for me talent is that the other stuff the silent stuff like the resilience like the um you know the planning like the um the commitment to what to what they want to do the the dealing with with failure and and stuff like this unfortunately when you've been really good 
gifted, um, then you've maybe not developed those skills, you know, because you haven't had to. Mm. And again, the, the, the literature kind of titles back. And that's again, why I wrote it was I wrote it again on a story base. So parents would find it quite easy to read, but also be able to take out of it what they want and maybe recognize some stuff in themselves, you know, but um, it, it matches up with, you know, with the research that's out there. And it's just, you know, they all want the best for their son or their daughter no question about that so if that is the case then i would recommend just spending some time of getting up to speed on what how you can help this you know your son and your daughter in the you know in the right way right mm. and that's and there is stuff out there you know and and the pcdes is actually based on this so psychological characteristics of developing excellence so that's talking about these talent things, these uh, the, these mental skills and emotional skills that that, that the research has, has said from the stories they've told that this is what they were lacking because they were a super gifted junior and they were mm. really successful as a as a junior versus the ones who had a little bit of struggle. They got deselected from from a squad or, or something like that all of mm. a sudden they've battled through that and they've learned, you know, the, these qualities. Because and I think, no, I think the, you, get to, you get older and it's harder to change them. Hmm. So what advice have you got for the kid who is the, um, the, the gifted one? I would, add, I, would build... add, I would add challenges in, right? Because he need, and again, this leads on to another really good piece of research written by the same people called uh, The Rocky Road to the Top. And there's, a, there's a, a tie-in on the paper, and I'll send you the links to them because they would be good to add into the show notes, especially for parents and whatnot, because how to put the speed bumps into mm. somebody who's really gifted, right? Because they need them, right? It's, not, it's yeah. not being mean or anything like that. And they're not like, you know, you're creating a holy, you know, massive amounts of like trauma for this individual, there's just certain bits of, of challenge that you need to, to put in there. Mm. And, and that's like little things where when somebody's really fantastic at, you know, let's say under 12s and they're kind of winning everything, well, just play them up at an age, right? I yeah. mean, it's really simple. Yeah. And, and, understa and understanding why you're doing it. I did it with football. You know, they, if, when you were good at younger, a younger age you go play with the men right and yeah. and you and you learn that way and then you mm. get into the first team and and so on and so forth definitely yeah simple but effective yeah it's interesting my my daughter you know she's um she's coming up to be four and obviously i've got a little boy as well who's a couple months old but not sort of doing too much sport with him yet but my daughter loves the sport and you know basic skills of jumping, picking, catching, yeah, shouting. Yeah. We're into those sort of, <laughs> those skills. And it, it's, you almost got to like let her fail. She's into big jumps. That's her best game, right? Big jumps, jumping off the biggest things she can find. <laughs> so like the stairs, she, she, you know, she wants to jump off four or five stairs. She's got done two, three, four. She wants to jump off four or five. And it's like, I could stop her doing it. But I almost let her do it 
and then she falls into a piece of pudding on the floor and cries. But at least she knows, you know what I mean, that she yeah, learns from yeah. it the hard way. But it's, um, and it's yeah, that, it's, it's, a, it's And it's controlled, isn't it? You know, that's the thing. It's like, you know, you're not letting her go up to like number seven straight away and go, okay, yeah, crack on. But it's like, it's like a controlled sort of uh, challenge, isn't it? I and I think that's the... Controlled. I don't know. <laughs> but you know, but the other thing as well, though, Ollie, is that I have two <laughs> girls as well. And even though I've read all this, the literature, and I kind of, it's, it leads you down to kind of understanding this, it's so hard as a parent. And I can, and I can totally empathize with all the parents out there of yeah. how challenging that is because you just want to literally steam through steamroll through everything and just make everything easy for them but yeah. you just know deep down that's just not going to help them you know it's not going to help them i was talking to uh pia and lynn on the show a few weeks ago and uh and pia was talking about the hot stove and the kids and it's like you know when i am cooking i'm like as we keep away from the oven keep away from the oven and actually what i should do is like yeah come on come and come and touch it and let her just burn herself and then she probably wouldn't do it again but that's anyway. exactly it yeah that's exactly it's, um, it it's hard to yeah to, yeah it's to, really to, hard it's so they could, yeah you want to give them everything you, you know you want you can so yeah, exactly it's, um, exactly. it's tough so the book is on amazon yeah it's on amazon yeah it's called gifted junior brilliant um, okay by myself and yeah, like, a, you know, I've got some good reviews. It's been out over three years now, so it's um, maybe a bit longer. But again, it's, I, I wrote it because, I, again, I, I didn't want to be, I, I, we tried to do some parents' evenings, right, when, when I was back living in England. And yeah. it was around, like, the TPI stuff, around that sort of stuff. And first one went terrible, like, you know, and I was like, okay, I need to check my delivery and, and stuff like that. That I wasn't like very deterministic of like, okay, this is how you parent and so on and so forth. Second one went equally as bad. And then I asked like a friend of mine to sit in on it, right? And they sat in on it. I said, what was the delivery like? He said, it was great, really good. He said, but the problem is when you speak to the parents is that they think you're trying to tell them how to parent their son mm. or their daughter. And I was like, ah, oh, right. Okay. And that's what gave me, I didn't want to do write a kind of how to type of junior development book. And that's why I wrote yeah. the story. Um, that, that's why I love about it. Is it, is it Jamie? The Jamie? Yeah. And it's all based on like intense. It's like a, it's not based on one character. It's based on like, actual real people i've seen in the world right mm. of, in the in the thing but it's like intensified right it's like three or four people put into one individual Damn. and that that's that's how i kind of wrote it so it's kind of more impactful and and again yeah people have re yeah, reached out to me saying my god i see so much of myself in mike and i see so much of myself in in jamie when i was younger and and so on i was like yeah yeah, we all we all do, you know. It's yeah. like, but it's then you know, how do you help parents to deal with that as well? You know, because everybody goes through it. It's fascinating, isn't it? Just before we, um, I don't know if you've been watching the golf, but before we just come on to uh, to talk, the European Tour just finished off. Yeah. Um, in the bullet, the bullet one, didn't he? Yeah, Mar Marcus Armitage. Marcus Armitage, right? yeah. 
and like it was interesting i listened to him on a podcast about a month ago talking being very honest on there about his um his problems and his mum died and he um obviously when he was young his mum died i think he was 13 and then he went off the rails and he did a lot of drugs and well, I think this is quite recent as well, like literally like four or five years ago. And he's okay. just won the first time on the European tour. So um, which is, I think, he, I think cool. he's been, I think he's been definitely in, in some, I think I've listened to a few of the things he said. And I think he's been along the road of like giving up a few times, not knowing if he had enough money to play. And, and yeah, like I think that. giving up his life, I think it's been that serious. Not oh, right. up oh wow. Game. Okay. So um, yeah, yeah. I think, uh, don't quote me on that, but I'm pretty sure that, that's how low he sort of um, potentially may have got. Um, wow. So, um, yeah. But then it's interesting going back to that kids with the resilience. Obviously, he's built a lot of resilience. The kid who doesn't have that has everything. But um, anyway, Stuart. Uh, well, he wouldn't just, want to be that extreme, though, would you? It's like, but I'm sure he's learned, uh, you know, a lot from it. But um that's, yeah, you wouldn't big, wish that. That's big, tra- that's big trauma stuff there, isn't it? But, uh, to yeah. come through that, you know, commending absolutely. Yeah, he he was crying his eyes out, and, oh, keeping it on pretty well. But um, it was it was good to uh, see. But I was there crying, like I was about to speak to you five minutes time. I start crying. I don't even know the guy. So there we go. Yeah, I didn't even watch the tournament past from the last uh, last hole. But um, the other thing I just want um, the performance planner is that something that's for sale for coaches to use or not not no, I, I well I have the I did the performance planner um I was in the process of trying to do like ups upscale that um yeah but then I, I came up with a journal as well um at, at the moment that's I'm kind of still in the pilot phase I'm still trying it with my with the clients I have just to make sure that the um the kind of the guided reflection in in there is is the right wording and, and whatnot because what, what I found with a lot of journals and a lot of planners is they all mean well right but if there's too much stuff in there people don't do it right so you they need you need to have the right amount of stuff to get enough of the information down that you want to have and that's in planning and reflection but not too much that it becomes just too time consuming, too complex and whatnot, because people just do it for like a couple of weeks and then they just stop doing it. Mm-hmm. So that's kind of where I'm at with it, you okay. know, at, at the moment. Keep, um, keep our eyes peeled for that. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, really appreciate your time. Um, Anytime. Really enjoyed, Thanks. Thanks enjoyed for that conversation. On. It was good, good fun. And hopefully the listeners enjoyed. I'm sure they did. So thanks, thanks very much. Thanks for having me on. Appreciate it. Thank you.